0: One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me, Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Kirk Herbstreet is on in, the phone. Episode hey. of the podcast, yeah. in the, hey. of America, hey. the Air Tour Sports hey. Podcast. That is right, people. It is Monday, June 14th, 2021, and we have hit episode 400 of of the Eritore Sports Podcast. I'll be perfectly blunt with you. Episode 300, we had an amazing guest, Herschel Walker joined me, one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done on this show. No big guest today because frankly, we have a lot to get into. It's been a quiet couple weeks in some ways, but since I last recorded, a ton to talk about. First, we will revisit the 12-team college football playoff. I talked about it on last episode, but what I would also say is we actually got a ton of details on that 12-team college football playoff late Thursday. As it became official that this is the tra- this is the way that we're going, nothing's hundred percent yet, but it is clear that the powers that be are interested in a twelve-team playoff. And I'll be honest: as I got more details and I thought more about it. I think I like it a little bit more than I was anticipating. So we'll talk about that. We will transition to basketball. Two mega topics. If you listen to Thursday's episode, and you should have listened, Jalen Duren. I talked about the top high school player in America. I mentioned a lot of stuff about him. Saw him at Pangos All-American camp. And I referenced it passing that the possibility of him reclassifying and playing college basketball next year was on the table. Well, now it is official. This thing could happen, as Adam Zagoria reported it late Friday. I'll tell you what I know, what I think happens, how realistic it is that he plays college basketball, and also the possibility of where he could end up playing college basketball maybe as early as this year. We will wrap with, finally, another interesting topic, as Adrian Wojnarowski put out, that Penny Hardaway, head coach, University of Memphis, you know Penny, all the smoke Penny all the smoke Penny you know Penny Hardaway may have interest in NBA jobs and I'll tell you this I heard something very interesting last week that I think you will want to hear about Penny Hardaway's NBA candidacy. I will tell you, this rumor was floating around. I have some good intel on it. If you care about college basketball, if you care about the NBA, you're going to want to stick around for the Penny Hardaway stuff at the end. But let's start with the topic of the day, which is frankly the topic of really the last week or so In college sports, and I think you could argue in the granular sports scene as a whole, the single biggest topic is college football playoff expansion. And I talked about it a little bit on Thursday's show. I'm not going to get into too many details, but what I'll tell you is this. If you listen to Thursday's show, you know where I stand. I finally come around to the idea that expansion is necessary for the good of college football across the board. I also said all along that I believe that eight teams is the best. But what also happened was on Thursday, we actually got to hear from the people who were in charge of kind of putting together all these proposals and making these decisions. And when I heard from them and when I took the weekend to think about it and when I talked to smart people, I will say this. It's not often that over the course of a two, three, four day period, I will switch my opinion on something. But the more that I heard about this college football playoff, the possibility of going to 12 teams, the more that I do think that I'm on board with it, again, after talking to really smart people who, uh, you know, whose opinions I trust. And so let's get into it, and before we do, a couple things. One, I've said it, I still think eight's the right number. It does appear, though, that 12 is where these people are leaning. It's worth mentioning, nothing has been decided yet. As I told you last week, there was essentially a task force that was put together to try and figure out what would potentially be the best model. They came up with 12. Now they are presenting it to the, college, the conference commissioners, the school presidents, the people that matter. There will be another meeting later this summer. No decision will be made here anytime in the immediate future. And I would also add any college football playoff expansion would not happen for at least two or three seasons. But It does appear as though some kind of expansion is coming. It does appear as though 12 is the best model. And like I said, the more that I thought about it, the more that I do think that I like it more than I originally anticipated when the news first came out late last week. There are five reasons why I actually think 12 might be the right number. I'm going to get into them. Before I do, I just want to reiterate what the structure would look like in a 12-team college football playoff because, again... We got some details over the last couple days. First of all, 12 teams goes without saying. Uh, The first four teams would get a first round bye, okay? So if Alabama goes undefeated through the SEC, what they get as a reward for that, they do not have to play on the opening weekend of the college football playoff. On top of that, the 5 through 12 seeds would play on the opening weekend with 5 through 8 hosting a home game nine through 12 going on the road. So kind of cool that you have that home road element to a college football playoff, which we'll talk about a little bit more. And then from there, those four teams advance. They play the top four seeds and on we go. So that is the structure. It's also worth mentioning that as the proposal currently stands, the top six ranked conference champions would be included. It wouldn't necessarily be an automatic bid for the Pac-12. It wouldn't be an automatic bid for the Big 12. So in some ways, I like that as well because with the top six getting an automatic guarantee, it's worth noting that um, we could have potentially more than one group of five team. Last year, had this proposal been in place, Coastal Carolina and Cincinnati would have been automatic qualifiers for the college football playoff. So that's kind of the main structure. Now let's get into why I like it, why I don't. Again, the main structure, 12 teams. Four, first four seeds get a first round bye. Next eight would play with the top 14, or five through eight would be playing at home. So five reasons why I actually have come around and I like 12 more than I did the first time. The number one reason that I like the 12-team playoff more than I thought I did, the more that I think about it, it incentivizes teams to play hard all season long because there are real incentives to playing hard late, right? If you play hard all season long, if you win, if you're Bama, now you get an automatic first-round buy in the playoffs, which essentially gives you a bye week, which allows you to get healthy, get rested late in the season. There is a real benefit to that. On top of that, if you are in that 5 to 8 range, there is a benefit. You get a home playoff game in the opening round. If you're in that uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, the 9 to 12 range, you're just fighting to get in and you want to get in and you're so happy to be in that you're playing hard. And so what I do think that it does is first of all, it, th- this structure eliminates something that has become one of the biggest issues in college football, which is of course opting out. And opting out has become this incredibly you know, just huge thing that nobody could have anticipated when we initially started this college football playoff. It really started whatever it was, 2015, 2016, whenever it was, with Leonard Fournette, with Christian McCaffrey, and now it has snowballed where it used to be only the top two, three, four players would end up opting out if they weren't in the playoff. Now you have Dozens of kids opting out. On top of that, and I think this is something nobody saw coming, although I did talk about it a little bit, is not only do you have kids opting out of playoff games, you have kids opting out of regular season games. And now I know last year was a little weird because of COVID, and it was a little bit different, and I get all that. But at the end of the day, I don't think under the current structure that is going to change. So let's just think about it in the big picture, right? Let's say you're Penn State or your. um Auburn you're somebody that's good but you're not going to compete for a playoff berth you're 10 games into the season you're say seven and three in the old days seven and three is a really good season it's not where you want to be you want to be 10 and 0 you want to be playing for the big enchilada the ultimate prize whatever but seven and three is a pretty good season well now when you're seven and three with 10 games within 10 games into the season with two games left guess what happens you kind of look around and you say wait a second now we can't compete for an SEC West title if I'm at Auburn we can't compete for an SEC title. We can't compete for a college football playoff berth. So why am I going to go out there and play the last two games of the season? If I'm at Penn State, we lost to Ohio State. We can't win the division. We can't make the playoff. We can't go to the Big Ten title game. Why am I going to play? And so because of the way the structure would work under a 12-team playoff, it incentivizes just about everybody on just about every marquee team to keep playing until late. Now look, are there going to be great NFL draft projects on, uh, you know, a four and eight team going into the last week of the season or a four and seven team. And might that kid choose to opt out? Yeah, he might. But at the end of the day, when you're talking about the best teams, the biggest brands, the teams that are competing at the highest level, you're not going to have to worry about kids opting out, forget in bowl games, but during the regular season. On top of that, speaking of bowl games, I do think it creates uh, just a better, more watchable postseason. And one thing that I don't think anybody anticipated, and you know, we can all take credit in hindsight, but this is one that I certainly didn't anticipate, is that the college football playoff has essentially made all of these other bowl games irrelevant. I don't like it. I don't think it's great. Um, I still remember the day when it used to mean something to go to the Rose Bowl, when it used to mean something to go to the Sugar Bowl. But let's be honest, for these kids that are playing high school football right now that are coming up to play college football, if you don't make the playoff, the playoff is the end game. If you don't make the playoff, you're not excited to play even in the Rose Bowl, even in the Sugar Bowl, even in the Peach Bowl. And I know there are exceptions when, when a team makes the Rose Bowl for the first time in 30 years or whatever, the team is fired up, even if they're not in the playoff. But in general, most of these Bowl games, kids just are not excited to play about, play in. And it's unfortunate, I wish they were, but that's just the reality. When you came into the season thinking you're gonna compete for a college football playoff berth, now you gotta play in the Sugar Bowl or the Alamo Bowl or whatever. Kids just aren't fired up. And so what this does is I think it creates more postseason games that people want to watch, certainly more games that people, uh, 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 the players will want to play in, and obviously it will kind of redo the bowl structure as we know it. Now, I don't know exactly how it's going to work and what bowls would be eligible for what playoff games and how all of that would work, but I do think it would kind of trim down the fat when it comes to bowl season. I think the Dunder Mifflin Bowl in uh, Des Moines, Iowa or whatever, like like I think some of those bowl games will go away. And let's be honest, I know people watch them because they actually get better ratings than you would think. But if the players don't want to play, if they're on in the middle of the day, if they don't mean as much as they used to, I don't think it's the worst thing that we now have more postseason games. I was going to say out of conference, games, more postseason games that kids are excited about playing in. Fans are excited about potentially attending and watching. And hey, maybe we can still keep 10, 12 bowls outside of that, and then the teams that aren't in the playoff can still go, and hey, if a kid opts out because his team went nine and three or whatever, then so be it. The third reason that I am in favor or I have at least come around to the idea that 12 teams might be right, in addition to opting out, in addition to making the postseason better, what I do think it will also do, and what I know for a fact it will do, is create better early season college football games. And why, why is that? It is because now, all of a sudden, you know that in the current structure, if you lose one game, you're in trouble. If you lose two games, you're totally screwed. And so if you're LSU or Alabama, you might schedule one tough out-of-conference game, but you also know you gotta go through that gauntlet of the SEC, and so you're going to schedule a lot of Louisiana Monroe and and uh, and 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 uh, you know the Citadel and all those kind of schools. And what ends up happening is there are fewer marquee out of conference games because in the current structure, you know, hey, you want to challenge yourself in the out of conference? That's fine, but you lose that game, you're behind the eight ball from the beginning. So now, what I believe that the expanded playoff does is it incentivizes these schools to schedule marquee games early in the season without the fear of losing. Just as an example, I looked it up just for fun because this is what I do on a Sunday in June. I was looking at Alabama's future schedules going forward. In 2025, they will play both at Florida State and Wisconsin at home in the regular season. I will tell you this, I know Nick Saban's a legend. I don't know if he'll still be there in 2025, but I also don't believe that Alabama would schedule two mega- out-of-conference games in 2025 if they did not believe that the playoff would be expanded, if they did not believe that one loss would put them in trouble and two losses would bury them and give them no chance to compete for a national championship. By the way, 2026, they get Florida State at home and they travel to West Virginia. The point I'm trying to make, early season games in some ways will matter less because one loss won't doom you, so we will get better marquee games earlier in the season. Fourth reason that I love, or I at least am coming around to the idea of the college football playoff expansion is because of what I talked about last time. I do think it will flatten the curve, and I hate to use that term. I know it's political. I don't intend it to be political. I apologize if it is. Uh, It'll flatten the recruiting landscape. Again, I've talked about it at length. I'm not going to get too far into it, but at the end of the day, All of the best high school players in America feel like, wait a second now, if I don't go to Ohio State, if I don't go to Clemson, if I don't go to Alabama, I can't compete at the highest level. Now look, maybe in a 12-team playoff at the end of the day, it's still going to be Alabama and Clemson competing at the top of the sport. Listen, as long as Clemson, you know, as long as Dabo's at Clemson, as long as Nick Saban's at Alabama, those teams are always going to be good. So it might still be Alabama winning the title. But at least a kid from the West Coast can go to USC, can go to Oregon, and know that they have a shot to make this thing. They can go, to, if you're from Texas, you can go to Texas. If you're from Texas, you can go to Texas A&M. You don't have to go to Bama. If you're from uh, you know, the Midwest, you don't only have to go to Ohio State because now, wait a second, maybe Penn State can get in. Maybe Michigan can get in maybe Michigan State can get in, maybe Nebraska down the road can get in, I only bring it up to say I do think it will help spread the talent around, we won't have these super teams, and I think it'll be better for the overall ecosystem of college football, where now, under the current structure, college football, again, is dominated essentially by three teams that are on a completely different level than everybody else. Finally, the fifth reason, another one that I've talked about, it's the group of fives, and I'm not, and I've talked about it so much, I'm not going to Get, get super in-depth into this. But the reason that I do like this opportunity, this this expansion to 12, is because now the group of fives have a real shot. And and again, I've talked about it so much. I'm not Mr. Cincinnati would've won the championship if you had let him in. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is the idea that it does seem like in so many ways, just flat out unfair. Doesn't it seem unfair that a Cincinnati can go undefeated in the regular season, that a Coastal Carolina can go undefeated in the regular season, and that they don't even get a shot to compete for a national championship. I talked about it a lot on last show. At some point, it's like, if you're not even going to give these teams that opportunity, then heck... Why even play the games? Why even rank them? Why even put out a stupid ranking every week where you have Cincinnati at number 12 knowing that no matter what they do, you're not gonna move them up because you don't wanna give up one of those four spots to a school like Cincinnati? So those are the five reasons that I do like the idea of expanding to 12, even if I think eight is better. It incentivizes teams to play hard all season. You're going to have more teams invested later in the season. And then on top of that, everybody is going to be playing for something, whether it's a first round by home field advantage or, of course, just to get into the playoff. Number two, there's more postseason games that are of interest to the players and even the fans. Three, it creates better early season games, which is something I don't think a lot of people have talked about. Four, it balances out recruiting a little bit. And five, the group of fives have a little bit. Of a better chance, I will say, even though the twelve teams, I've come around to the idea of twelve teams. I also want to say something else. I'm not totally convinced that it is the best, and I made my argument for eight the other day. I still think eight is best, and there are five reasons why I don't think twelve is the right number. But again, I'm I'm not trying to play both sides of the fence here, just for you guys listening in your car, on the bus, whatever you're doing, wherever you're listening at the gym. I'm not trying to play both sides of the fence here. What I am saying is I am coming to the idea that 12 teams may have been better than I initially gave it credit for, but I would also double down and say there are some negatives as well which need to be addressed. The first one, I hate using the word devalues, but it does devalue the regular season just a little bit. I mean, the thing that we love about college football The thing that we love about college football is the idea that every weekend feels like it matters so much. Clemson's playing Notre Dame. If Clemson loses, they're on the brink. What happens if they lose again? Trevor Lawrence, what if he doesn't come back? DJ, oh my goodness, what does it all mean? that is gonna go away a little bit. Now, I understand the fanaticism and passion of college football fans. I understand that it's never gonna be okay for Georgia fans to lose to Auburn, for Auburn fans to lose to uh, uh, Alabama, for Alabama fans to lose to LSU. I understand that. But it is also on any given Saturday gonna be like, well, okay, Alabama lost, okay, cool. LSU lost, that's fine. They got plenty of time to make it up. And there isn't going to be that urgency that there is right now. There just isn't going to be. And I bring it up because guess what? There are going to be undeserving teams that make the playoff. That's number two. The number number two reason why I still am not sold on 12. The number two reason is because if you look at it, there are going to be undeserving teams. I talked about it last episode. The University of Florida, Dan Mullen, last year. You know how their regular season ended? They lost as a 24-point favorite at home to LSU. That was the game where the kid famously took off his shoe, threw his shoe, got a penalty. Next thing you know, uh, LSU is in field goal range. They end up winning the game. Florida still advanced to the SEC championship game where they did, to their credit, play Alabama tough, but at the same time, they lost to Alabama. And guess what? That Florida team still would have made the college football playoff. And I get it. We have teams in college basketball that make the NCAA tournament on a losing streak. UCLA lost like four of their last eight in the regular, whatever it was, and they made the Final Four. I get it. I'm just saying, it does feel a little weird to me that Florida can lose as a 24-point favorite at home, can lose to Alabama in the SEC Championship game, and they would still get in the playoff. Doesn't that seem a little bit weird to you? The third reason that I'm not totally in favor of a 12-team playoff, I'm just going to be blunt. 17 games for college athletes and you guys know where I stand on all this stuff I'm not Mr. Oh my god college athletes have it so tough life is so hard I'm actually the opposite but it does feel kind of a little bit gross to ask amateur athletes to play 17 games now I will say thankfully name image likeness is coming in thankfully the best players will be able to monetize themselves as they kind of go through the course of a season But 17 games feels kind of gross. If anything, I would rather us eliminate one out of conference game, go to 11 games. So at the very least, we're really only adding one game to the schedule. And I get it. Not every team is going to play 17 games. As a matter of fact, most teams probably won't. Realistically, one of those top four teams is probably going to win the national championship. They will have a first round bye. They will not have to play. And also, there's going to be weird years where a team makes the playoff without playing in their conference championship game, whatever. So the idea that uh, we're going to all play 17 games, it's just not true. But it does feel a little bit gross, doesn't it? I mean, we're, we're, you know, NFL players are playing 17 games now, and that has been a huge topic of debate. And now college kids are going to, uh, you know, I don't know what it all means, what happens with name image likeness, does the cost of attendance stipend go up a little bit, but I'm just saying the combination of 17 games, and I should add the tens or excuse me, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars that are going to come into the sport, uh, you know, we're going to have to do more for the players at that point. I mean, I really truly believe that because I'm not Mr. Like college athletes have it so tough, but you're asking a college football player to play 17 games that feels like a lot that's one of the reasons i'm not huge on 12 and if anything if we're going to go to a 12 team playoff take out a regular season game the fourth team the fourth reason i uh, you know 12 feels like a little bit too much it's going to be too many neutral site games so the way the current structure would be set up is that teams 5 through 8 would host teams 9 through 12 in the first round of the playoff on the flip side though on the flip side, though, once we get to that quarterfinal round after the first round, it would all be neutral sites. I don't like that. I think it's too much traveling. If you break it down and think about it at simplest level, you would, in theory, have a team playing in a in a, um, in a conference championship game one weekend and then potentially down the road, three straight neutral site bowl games out of con- or, uh, uh, playoff games, whatever. That feels like a little bit too much to me. I would like that opening round, you know, the five through 12 matchups to be on a, on, on, a, on a college campus. I'll also be honest. I would like that quarterfinal round to be on a college campus. One, it can be done. Two, you got to give some benefit to these teams that, that are the top four. They want to play some home games, too. And I guarantee you there's going to be some athletic directors that are pissed off saying, wait a second now, as, our, as a reward for winning all of our games in the regular season, we now lose a home game. People are going to be pissed. That's a lot of money. On top of that, I would also just say home playoff games are going to make for some of the wildest atmospheres that we have ever seen. Um, And honestly, just watching the college baseball this past week like I have makes me appreciate how awesome uh, home fields are in the postseason. So I do hope that we can, if we do go to 12, get the first two rounds on campus sites. And then finally, the last thing, which is actually by far the most fixable, of all of the the problems is the idea of reseeding. I think that's something that the committee would have to address. In other words, if the 12 team upsets the five team, in theory, they would be in line to play the four seed. That doesn't seem fair to the one seed who worked all year to get that home field advantage. So reseeding would be a topic of conversation that would have to be considered. Again, overall, I would say I am at the point where I do believe that it is a net positive to go to 12 teams instead of sticking with the four. I'm still a little hesitant. Five reasons why I like the 12. It incentivizes teams to play hard all season. It keeps everybody engaged, obviously, and in the same vein, it makes more postseason games relevant. It creates more early season games, and it balances recruiting as well as a benefit to the group of fives. But my negatives, it does devalue the regular season a little bit. There will be undeserving teams that get in. The 17-game schedule feels a little bit kind of weird and gross. Too many neutral site games, and finally, re That's it for college football. Uh, what I would love to do, first of all, Get your get your guys' opinions. Do you guys like do you guys like what I'm saying? Do you not like what I'm saying? Do you believe in what I just told you? Feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. Feel free to hit me up at on Aaron Torres uh, podcast questions at gmail.com. But genuinely curious for what your guys' thoughts are on the college football playoff. Because one thing I will say, talked about it on last episode, and I talked about it a little bit on my radio show this weekend, is the idea that. I think the public is more in favor of this 12 team uh, proposal than I thought they would be. I thought everybody was on board with eight. I thought most people would think that 12 is too many. But the more that I think about it, the more that I like 12. And frankly, the more that you guys, I believe, like 12 as well. But hit me up, Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com. Also, feel free to DM me on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. All right, college football went really long, but there is a lot of college basketball to talk about. Jalen Duran, the number one high school player in America, could potentially reclassify, could be playing college basketball next year. We're going to talk about that. We are also going to talk about the fact that I really think Penny Hardaway is at least listening to potential NBA jobs, so we're going to talk about that. Before we do, let's take a quick break. All right, big news with the number one high school basketball player in America, Jalen Duran. We will get to that news momentarily, but before we do, it's one week away from Father's Day. You're still trying to figure out what is the perfect gift for your husband, your boyfriend, yourself. Got to spoil yourself too, fellas. Well, time to welcome back our favorite sponsor, Manscaped. As I told you last time, it has been a huge month in men's below-the-waist grooming as Manscapes engineers have successfully created the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which is now available for purchase in the U.S. and Canada. The new trimmer was just released a few weeks ago, and as I told you, The Aaron Torres Pod was one of the first to get our hands on it. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. Exclusive offer just to people who listen to this podcast. Again, you're scrambling. You're looking for a gift for the special man in your life. Fellas. Do yourself a favor, spoil yourself. It's a gift for you, but it's really a gift for her. Forget the tie this year for Father's Day. Forget the slippers or the bathrobe or the steak dinner at the steakhouse that's overpriced. You want to go to manscaped.com, use promo code Taurus to get all of the great things that they have there. Again, I was one of the first people to try the lawnmower 4.0, and I am blown away by the performance. The ceramic blade and skin safe technology is so good, it almost feels like Elon Musk. Uh, engineers worked with manscaped to get this thing off the assembly line so smooth so clean you don't want to use the other competitors we know what happens down there nicks cuts accidents you're out of commission then your lady's mad at you you're not ready to go you don't got to worry about that with manscaped go to manscaped.com use promo code torres fellas Back to the lawnmower 4.0. So many great details. As I've told you before, a new multi-function on-off switch can engage a travel lock for those of you who like to travel. Don't worry about have to worry about that thing going off in the middle of an airplane with a crying baby next to you. Lawnmower 4.0 also gives you a 4K LED spotlight on-off when you need it. The new trimmer also allows you to trim with additional guard lengths, sizes one through four. You're a grown man. You don't want to go completely bald down there. That's kind of weird. You said. It's not your style, but you don't want the James Harden beard either. You got the guard lengths to go one through four. On top of that, this is important, fellas. The trimmer, also waterproof. You can groom in the shower. You don't have to worry about leaving a hair on the floor. I said it last episode. You try to do something nice for your lady. You try to look good. It's a romantic date. It's her birthday. You want to do something special. You leave two hairs on the floor. You get yelled at. Ruins the whole night. All of a sudden, you don't have to worry about that because, again, manscaped.com. And all of Manscaped's products are waterproof. The lawnmower 4.0, I should say, is waterproof. And you know, you can use it in the shower. You don't have to worry about leaving hair. Finally, wireless charging. Manscaped's lawnmower 4.0 wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help your battery length last longer. If you're still trimming your face, fellas, with your below-the-waist trimmer, stop being a slob. Ladies, stop letting your man be a slob. Go to manscaped.com. Use promo code Torres. plus free shipping. I'm telling you, you go today. It's Monday. You can get your order in. It'll be in the mail. It'll be at your door by the time Father's Day arrives this Sunday. Go ahead. Do what everybody else is doing. Manscaped.com. Use promo code Torres. Get 20% off plus free shipping. That's 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Use promo code Torres to unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job. Again, your balls will thank you. Torres will thank you manscape.com promo code torres 20% off it's father's day ladies get your man a gift fellas get yourself a gift uh put it on your ladies credit card too no big deal all right enough nonsense let's get to Jalen Duran and of course the penny hardaway news of the week all right everybody i am back I do want to get two like really legitimately kind of big topics in college basketball from the course of the weekend that I want to get into. One of which, actually, the first one we'll start with right now, actually was something that I talked about a little bit on Thursday's episode. And if you listen to Thursday's episode, great show. Phil Elson talked college baseball. We talked a little bit about this twelve-team playoff on Thursday as well as earlier in today's show. But then on top of that, in addition to that, we also talked about the Pangos All-American Camp, which is one of the best. school camps in America most of the best players in the country in high school basketball come and one of the topics was Jalen Duren. Jalen Duren is widely believed to be at worst the second best player in the high school class of 2022 which means he recently completed his junior year getting set to be a senior and he might be number one and the topic that I brought up was a lot of different things because as of I don't know three four five weeks ago just about everybody assumed that when when it came time for him to graduate high school he would end up taking a pro path and never play a second of college basketball. Well, at Pangos All-American Camp, I talked to a lot of people, and two things kind of came up. One... There is like a legitimate possibility that this kid does play college basketball. He talked to Kentucky Sports Radio's Jack Pilgrim, uh, and Jack got some great quotes from him on the possibility of playing college basketball. It's not all about money. I want to do what's best for my future for the next 20, 30 years, not for the next year. But then two, the, the thing that I talked about was the possibility of reclassification, of doing a year's worth work of high school skipping your senior year going to play college basketball next year because when you look at this kid there is no reason for him to play high school basketball but if you listen to Thursday and know to play in another year of high school basketball he's dominant he's physically imposing he doesn't need another year of high school basketball so i bring it up because this was kind of a topic that i had in passing on last week's show on Thursday's show And uh, yeah, it's a pretty big topic right now, maybe the single biggest topic in college basketball because literally like 24 hours after I posted that post where I said, hey, this is something that should at least be considered and was talked about at Pangos All-America Camp, guess what happened? Adam Zagoria comes out, uh, writer, he is a writer in the New York area, northeast area. He comes out with a report that it is expected that Jalen Duran will reclassify and enter the high school class of 2021 and play college basketball next year. Of course, the second that happens, there's the reverse report. The kids' AAU program says, oh, fake news, nothing's been decided about that means when, when when the AAU program comes out with the quote unquote fake news tweet, that means oh, you're ahead of this story and we didn't want this information out there. So let's talk about it, Jalen Duran, and the possibility that this kid might only not be playing college basketball, but could be playing college basketball next year. And as a little bit of of an aside, I, I know some of you aren't diehard College Hoops fans, so let me just very briefly explain the reclassification process. It's really pretty simple. It's essentially when a player decides to skip his senior year of high school to get to college a year ahead of schedule to then get to the NBA after his one-and-done season a year ahead of schedule. And so, as it pertains to the NBA, what you have to remember is two different things. To be eligible for the NBA draft, you basically only need two things. One, you need to be one year removed from graduating high school. Two, you gotta be 19 years old the year of the NBA draft. And so what has happened a lot is over the years, a lot of these kids that are really good in high school, and frankly, some of them that aren't very good, they kind of realize like, well, wait a second now, Uh, I'm gonna be 19 in my senior year of high school, and I'm still going to have to go to play one year of college basketball, because again, you have to be 19 and one year removed from high school basketball. And so what a lot of guys do, they will actually move their graduation up a year, do a ton of coursework over the course of the spring, summer, fall, to get themselves eligible to play college basketball, because the quicker you get into college, if you are 18 years old, and if you will be 19 years old at the end of of your freshman year, the quicker you can get to the NBA. We've seen it time and time again. A lot of great players have done it. Marvin Bagley at Duke, um, You know, the list goes on and on. I can't think of everybody off the top of my head, but Marvin Bagley was a really famous one. Uh, Johnny Juzang reclassified to get to Kentucky. Now, after his sophomore year at UCLA, it looks like he might, in fact, be ready to play in the NBA. There are others, but the point is, it's pretty common. I think Carl Anthony Towns did it, you know, eight, 10, 12 years ago whenever he came out of high school basketball. But it is something a lot of players do, and it came up when it pertained to Jalen Duran because I I started asking around at Pangos Camp, and and I know it's been kind of a talk, Talking point but I kind of said like okay let's do some math here this kid is born November 2003 remember Jalen Duran, number one high school player in America number two high school player in America depending on what ranking you're looking at and I said wait a second now this kid is born in November of 2003 He is absolutely physically dominating high school basketball. So if you're born in November 2003, it means that in theory you could be eligible for the 2022 NBA draft, not this upcoming one with Cade Cunningham and Jalen Suggs, but the one a year from now. But to do that, you have to graduate high school early. And so I started asking around Pangos All-American camp. I'm like, like, is this going to happen? And the consensus that I got was, oh, this is much more of a possibility than maybe it's being talked about publicly. Uh, So it's definitely on the table. It's definitely in the cards. And as I said, Adam Zagoria reported that it is expected to happen. The AAU program came out and said, oh, fake news. That means that they think it's probably going to happen but didn't want the news out yet. So let's get into it. Is it possible that Jalen Duran does, in fact, reclassify and does he go to college? In terms of just the college basketball element, I will say that while, I, let, me, let me backtrack. At this point, I would expect Jalen Duren to get the process moving. Again, there is no reason for him to play another year of high school basketball. I'm not rushing a kid's clock. I hope. He, I wish he stayed in high school. I wish he went to the prom, did all that fun stuff that you and I got to do. But at the end of the day, he's gonna dominate. He's gonna put up 20 and 10 every game. He's not gonna get better, and it's not gonna get him any closer to making the real money that will come With being in the NBA, so I do believe at this point the combination of Adam Zagoria's report, the combination of the AAU program not being happy that that report came out, I do believe that it is very much in the cards. Now, is it 100% certain? That I'm not sure of because a couple things. First of all, um, you know you got to remember that there isn't a real academic element to all of this right like like and this was something that I saw other people report and it was kind of something that I heard is that for him to do this it's going to be very hard uh, and, and he's a little bit behind the eight ball in terms of academics now he's a, academically he's fine as a junior but to graduate a year early uh, you got to make up a lot of coursework to make up a year's worth of high school over the course of two three months in the summer it can be done. It is not easy, though. I actually remember talking to Johnny Juzang's dad about this years ago when Johnny Juzang was in the process, and he's like, dude, Johnny's killing himself. And Johnny, by the way, went to a great academic school. Uh, his brother went to Harvard. So I'm not saying Johnny's smarter or less smarter than this kid, Jalen Duran. I'm just saying that for if Johnny Juzang struggled to make up that year's worth of work, everybody is going to. It is not easy. I also think before we get too excited about the possibility of Jalen Duran playing college basketball next season, one, he's got to take care of the academics, but two, we have to be realistic about this in the way that we're realistic with all of these high school elite players now. And that's that he's gonna have a lot of good pro options. So even if he moves up his clock, it does not mean that he's necessarily going to play college basketball. There was a report, I believe actually was from Adam Zagoria within the context of that article. Um, it, it, there was a report that the G League will offer upwards of a million dollars to this kid. Uh, we know Overtime Elite has money to burn. We were talking about that on last episode. The NBL over in Australia is still recruiting these elite high school players. And so I bring it all up to say very simply that I, I, I do think even if this kid does reclassify, even if he quote unquote graduates in the high school class of 2021 to be eligible for the 2022 NBA draft, like I still think the idea of him playing college basketball uh, isn't a foregone 100% conclusion. He's going to have great offers. I do think it's kind of important for the G League. If, if the G League can't get this kid, it's kind of a bad sign about their tactics, how they're recruiting, whether it's working, if you can offer that kid that much money, uh, and he does not come. At the same time, what I'll also say is what I said a minute ago which is that if you had asked anybody about two, two and a half, three, four weeks ago, a month ago, six weeks ago, the idea of Jalen Duran playing college basketball at all didn't seem even remotely possible. He just seemed like if there was ever a kid that was designed for that professional pathway, that professional option, he was the guy, you know, no doubt NBA talent. Early in his career, he continued to develop. And so from the beginning, it always kind of felt like, okay, this is the kind of kid that will be targeted early, targeted often by the pro ranks. What has ended up happening, though, is a couple different things. I mean, first of all, credit to Jalen Duran because he has said, you know, in interviews, especially with Jack Pilgrim from Kentucky Sports Radio, hey, I know you guys tried to box me into this professional pathway corner, but I'm not saying that, uh, but but college is in the cards for me because of a couple things. I don't really care about the money, and and, and I'm paraphrasing here, but what he told Jack Pilgrim was, listen, for me, the next year, whatever my next decision is, wherever I go in that year between high school and the NBA, it's not about making the most money possible in that one year. I'm not about the money. It's about setting me up to have the best possible career over the next 30 years, the next 20 years. This isn't a one-year decision. This is a 20-year decision. And so whether it is the G League, whether it is college, whether it is Kentucky, UCLA, Michigan, Villanova, G League, overtime, it's about who is going to get me in position to thrive, to to have success early in the NBA and thrive throughout my career. And so if that development happens on a college campus, if it happens in a professional setting, I don't really care. It is not about the money to me. And so right away, um, you know, you read that quote, great job from Jack Pilgrim for getting that quote. Shout out my guy, Jack. He crushed it all week at Pangos camp. But, you know, you know, when you see a quote like that, it makes you realize, wait a second now, College is absolutely in the cards. The other thing that you also absolutely have to consider in this case is do not forget. At some point, name, image, likeness is going to get figured out this season. Like kids will be able to make money in college sports, basketball, baseball, tennis, golf, whatever, this season. We don't know how much. We don't know if it's gonna be 10K. We don't know if it'll be 50K. We don't know if it'll be 100K, but they're going to make something. And so what I believe is kind of going through Jalen Duran's mind now and his camp's mind now is a couple things. First of all, as I've told you since day one, everybody likes to crap on college basketball. Except here's the thing. It's a great platform. And I get it. Some people need money. Some people want money. Some people don't want to go to school. Sometimes kids have parents that are taking handouts, whether they even know it or not. Okay. I get that sometimes the professional pathway is the better option for a lot of people. But what I would also say is for a lot of people, they realize what I told you when Jalen Suggs hit that half-court shot. College basketball is an amazing platform. And you can talk about YouTube, and they have this many Instagram followers, and they have this. Uh, t- enough with the. they have such a big brand. I was told RJ Hampton has this amazingly huge brand. I, I can't name my what, – what's, what's my favorite – what's your – listen. Uh, you guys are driving around. You're at the gym. You're working out. Let me ask you a question. R.J. Hampton had this huge brand that was going to transcend sports, okay? What was your favorite R.J. Hampton moment from the NBL? What was your favorite R.J. Hampton moment from uh, from his rookie year in the NBA this year? Go ahead. Think about it. I'll wait. Oh, there isn't one because he completely went off the radar. Jalen Greed, his brand is so big. Oh my, He doesn't need college basketball uh, okay, then why is he tweeting about, I would be the number one pick if I had played college basketball? Was totally off the grid for a year and whatever. So I bring it up to say, I think a lot of these kids are realizing, wait a second now, I can take the money up front. There's nothing wrong with that. But college basketball is a really awesome platform. And so I think when you combine that with Jalen Dern kind of coming out and saying, you know what, it isn't just about the money for me. I want to be developed with the fact that he, of course, I think is seeing the value in college basketball. I think it's a real possibility that he could play next year. Now, the interesting thing, and the thing that would worry me if you're a college basketball fan hoping to get him to your campus, my only concern is I don't see a great fit for him at this point. And let me explain. So, a couple things. One, as he told Jack Pilgrim, he's got three visits set up to Memphis, Miami, and Kentucky. Okay? Um, And if you're Jalen Duran, and if you want to go to a place where you're not only going to be developed... But on top of that, uh, you're going to have a spotlight where you can potentially play yourself into the conversation for number one pick. I hate to say it, I'm not sure any of those schools is a great fit. Miami, like, do I need to explain Miami? Like, I I mean, okay, you want to live on South Beach, you want to be LeBron James 2.0 in college, okay, I get it, otherwise, I can't lie, I don't think Miami is going to be great for your exposure. Memphis, we'll get into Memphis more in a minute, Penny Hardaway might not even be there, Uh, that's one, but even if he is, I'm just not sold that like, you know, Penny Hardaway's doing the job that he promised he was gonna do at Memphis, and we're gonna talk about that in a minute, but I bring it up to just say like, you're gonna go play for Penny Hardaway? I'm not saying he's a bad coach, but this was a guy that guaranteed a national championship and said, we want all the smoke, And three years later, has zero NCAA tournament games, but a very nice NIT banner to hang in his gym next year. Also, a lot of his uh, first round of recruits has already transferred out. I'm just saying, I don't know that I would put my future in his hands if I was uh, Jalen Dern. And finally, there's Kentucky in terms of that first group of schools. Um... And what I would say about Kentucky is, is pretty simple is that, listen, Kentucky's probably the biggest stage in college basketball right up there with Duke. You're going to play all these marquee games. You're going to be on national TV. My only concern with Kentucky is is that their front court's pretty loaded. And so you're Jalen Duran, and you're going to go there, and you're going to have to compete with a former McDonald's All-American, Oscar Shibwe, who, uh who is three years older than you and every bit the physical uh, specimen that you are, if you will, it's going to make you better Uh, But I also don't know that, uh, you know, if you're looking for a pathway to kind of be a star, build your brand, do all that stuff, that that's necessarily the best spot for you. Keon Brooks is back, and I think Keon Brooks is special. I did a a little thing on YouTube about why I think he could be the X factor and or difference maker for Kentucky next year. And so I'm not saying that this kid is going to duck competition or he's afraid of competition. But I'm just saying, if you are looking for a place that is best going to kind of emphasize your skill set and put you in position to have success... I think Kentucky's the best choice, but it's not as though they have like this glaring hole in the front court and they need you and you're a plug and play guy that's going to go average 20 and 10 right away uh, at Kentucky. So those are kind of the those are kind of the schools that realistically like I, I don't know if he'd be interested. I don't know if he wouldn't be, but those are the schools that are right now on his list. And even beyond those schools, I would have questions about some of the other ones. UCLA is on his list. Front court, totally loaded. I think UCLA is a great brand. I think it'd be great for his kind of marketing and all that kind of stuff. But UCLA, they just took Miles Johnson, the transfer from Rutgers. They also have uh, Cody Riley, their starting power forward is testing the NBA draft. But I do think that it's very possible that uh, their front court is gonna return intact next year and I don't know that there's easy playing time there. Same with Michigan, Hunter Dickinson testing the NBA draft waters will probably be back. So the only point I'm trying to make here guys is that I'm really excited. I hope this guy plays college basketball. I hope it's next year. I hope I can thumb my nose in all the haters that everyone. Oh, college basketball! It's so terrible. It's so evil. I can't. You. I would be over the moon if I could. Uh, you know, thumb my nose in into the haters as Jalen Duran plays college basketball. But on the flip side, I still think there are a lot of things at play here, a lot of things that, uh, you know, uh, to come. So I would still put it at, you know, I don't know, 40, 60 that he not only plays college basketball, but that he plays next year. But man, oh man, oh man, this is a huge story and I cannot wait to see how it unfolds. All right, let's hit one last college basketball topic before we get out of here. But boy, oh boy, it is a doozy, let me tell you that much. Okay, so obviously, look, if you listen to this show over the last couple months, you know that I have talked a ton of college basketball coaching carousel. Indiana opens up all the way back in the middle of March. They go out and get my boy Mike Woodson, maybe the greatest hire in the history of the sport remains to be seen. We will see down the road. Uh, Arizona opens up, they get Tommy Lloyd, North Carolina opens up, they get Hubert Davis, obviously in the last couple weeks, Duke has announced the succession plan to Coach K here in the future, and so it seemed as though on the surface that the college basketball coaching carousel is over, just one problem. The NBA coaching carousel has just ramped up, and as you always know, there's always college basketball coaches in consideration. Remember, Brad Stevens originally took the Boston Celtics job on Memorial Day weekend, or no, excuse me, July 4th weekend. I take that back all the way into July when he took that job. John Beeline, it was right around this time that he left Michigan for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Did not last long, but the point remains, as NBA jobs opened up, Interest comes in all sorts of places, including in college basketball. So why do I bring it up? It is because on Thursday, late Thursday, after I had obviously recorded the most recent episode, Adrian Wojnarowski, who is by far the best NBA writer on the planet in terms of information, all that kind of stuff, he sent out a tweet linking two prominent college basketball head coaches to the NBA. No Kentucky fans, it wasn't John Calipari, he's not getting $100 million, don't worry about it. Instead, here is what Woj put out on Thursday afternoon, June 10th at 5 13 p.m. Sources. Michigan's Juwan Howard continues to tell NBA teams he is not interested in even a discussion on leaving Ann Arbor. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. On the other hand, and this is still Woj's tweet, teams are also calling to gather intel on Memphis coach Penny Hardaway's work. He's going to get offers to interview for openings in this nba job cycle well hello okay how about that for a headline juan howard i've talked about it before i am not surprised this guy clearly loves being in college basketball he cried at his introductory press conference he cried after michigan won the big 10 regular season title last year it's clear he loves to recruit it's clear he loves to build fam- uh, you know a family on the ann arbor michigan campus it is clear that juan howard loves college basketball But Penny Hardaway, I will tell you this, Woj's tweet that teams are calling to gather information on Penny Hardaway and that he is going to get offers to interview for openings in the NBA job cycle this year. I will tell you this that falls directly in line with what I was told about a week ago, right before I left for Pangos All-American camp. I'm not saying Penny Hardaway's leaving for the NBA. I'm not saying he's anybody's first choice, but when you look at the job openings, specifically the Orlando Magic, where he is one of the five most prominent players in the history of the organization, I am just telling you, behind the scenes, in basketball, college, NBA, whatever you wanna say, Penny Hardaway to the Orlando Magic does have a little bit of buzz. Now some of you are probably sitting there thinking, dude, Torres like what why why would they want a guy that frankly hasn't been that good in college basketball? Well, what I would say is a few things. One, obviously, it's kind of the same. It's the reverse college basketball thing um, where, you know, you look at the situation with the Orlando Magic and one, you would be able to bring home one of your most prominent players to be the head coach of your organization. No different, frankly, than what Georgetown did with Patrick Ewing, than what Michigan did with Juwan Howard, than what, frankly, Indiana did with Mike Woodson. Sometimes it works out. Juwan Howard's been really good. Sometimes it doesn't. Chris Mullen at St. John's was really bad. But this is kind of the NBA version of that. Big name, famous icon in franchise history, Penny Hardaway. On that level, it makes sense. But what I would also say is if you dig deeper, and if you think about it, it actually does make sense kind of on a lot of different levels. The reason being this. I don't know that Penny Hardaway would be, say, the perfect candidate for the Boston Celtics or the Portland Trail Blazers veteran team win now. The The window to win is right now. Portland Trail Blazers, you got Dame Lillard. He's over 30. You got to win now. But for a team like the Orlando Magic that is clearly going through uh, a major rebuild, they traded Aaron Gordon, I'm not going to break down NBA rosters, but they are going through a rebuild, they tried to build it up, didn't work, traded away all their assets, they're going young, they're going to have a top five pick almost certainly this year, it makes a lot of sense to bring in a guy like Petty Hardaway. He is a guy that, as we know, grassroots history, high school history, college history. Now, he is uh, very plugged into young people. And I think the Orlando Magic kind of look at it like young coach played in the NBA. He's going to be able to connect with these kids in a way that hiring, I don't know, Doc Rivers. And I know Doc Rivers isn't available, but that's just a hypothetical wouldn't right? Doc Rivers is 60. He played a million years ago. Nobody know- Penny Hardaway's in his late 40s, early 50s, whatever it is, played in the NBA, has coached in college, knows what it takes to, in theory, get the most out of young players. And so that is why he is so appealing to NBA teams. Young coach, go with a young team. Again, I don't think he's the perfect candidate for, say, the Portland Trail Blazers, but I actually do think it kind of makes sense for the Orlando Magic. I also, I hate to say it, and Memphis fans are going to be fired up and angry that I'm saying it, I think it kind of makes sense for Penny Hardaway as well. Again, to be clear, I'm not saying that I have intel that he is desperate to leave Memphis. This is his alma mater. He did come there to, to. he claims, to, he came, let me backtrack. When he got there, he said, I'm here to win national championships, okay? Um, I am here to rebuild this program. I love this place. This was my home. Uh, and so there are reasons for him to stay. He obviously loves the University of Memphis. It's worth mentioning he does still have a son on the team that is going into his fourth year in the program. So there are plenty of reasons for him to stay. But what I would also say is it's also pretty clear at this point that the promises that Penny Hardaway made when he took this job to date, he has not delivered. Not saying it can't happen, not saying he can't get that program back on track, but let's look at the track record. Year one, okay, he takes over all Tubby Smith's players, no big deal. You go to the NIT, uh, no big deal, right? Like like that happens, it's part of the deal, whatever. The second year, well, that was the year that he had the number one ranked recruiting class in the country, uh, and obviously James Wiseman, Precious Achua, all those guys. The NCAA tournament was ultimately canceled because of COVID in 2020, but had it not been canceled, Memphis wasn't going. That year didn't work out, and I understand James Wiseman opted out, and there was injuries, and there was all that stuff, but at the end of the day, never forget that that season coming into the year, Penny Hardaway said, I believe we are going to win the national championship. Not that we could, not that we might, not that we have as much talent as anybody in the country. He came into the 2019-2020 season saying, I expect to win a national championship. Clearly didn't deliver because, again, they were on the outside looking in before the NCAA tournament was ultimately canceled. And then there was this past season where, of course, uh, Memphis won the NIT and everyone made their jokes about, you know, Penny Hardaway's finally hanging a banner in, in FedEx Forum. But what I would also say is this, like one, in Penny's defense, I do think they were one of the 68 best teams by the end of the season. They had Houston beat twice in the final week of the season. They ended up losing both of those games. I think even if they win one, they make the NCAA tournament. But I think in the larger perspective, clearly he has not been what he sold himself to be. This was the guy that said, I expect to win a national championship in 2019, 2020. He said, we want all the smoke. Well, they got the smoke and it hasn't worked out. And in some ways, I'll even take it a step further, and this is also part of the reason why I kind of believe that Penny Hardaway might actually be interested in going to the NBA. It's clear that his plan to, to turn Memphis into something did not work out the way that he wanted and is not going to work out the way that he wanted. Let me explain why. When he arrived at Memphis, his plan was basically, we are going to become an NBA minor league team. We're going to train like an NBA team. I'm going to coach them like an NBA team. I am going to bring in the best high school players in America, and I am going to be better at anyone than preparing them for the next level. And in his defense, I think it's a great recruiting pitch. He was an NBA all-star, frankly, was on pace to become an NBA icon before he got hurt. He had Mike Miller on his staff, who was a well-respected assistant coach, and that was the pitch that he had as as a college basketball coach. Just one problem. He was probably about three or four years too late. And what do I mean by that? If you remember Penny Hardaway, about his second or third week as head coach, and people might forget this now, this is who he had on campus in one weekend, RJ Hampton, Jalen Green, and James Wiseman. And there was talk of like, oh my God, how did Penny pull this off? All three guys on campus at one time, they're gonna get everybody they want. And unfortunately for Penny, like I said, I think he had the right approach I think he was just three or four years too late because right as he was kind of ramping up and saying, we're going to be this NBA minor league team, what happens? All of these professional pathways come about and RJ Hampton, you think you got him signed, sealed and delivered. Late in the process, Kansas came in. But at the end of the day, what happened? We just talked about it a minute ago. Australia came in, they offered him a ton of money and the Hampton family said, you know what? Let's go overseas, let's get paid right away. We don't need college basketball. Jalen Green, also no secret. He was going to go to Memphis. He told Chris Haynes from Yahoo that his plan was to commit to Memphis until the G League Ignite program was basically created for Jalen Green. Then he doesn't go. And oh, by the way, you know who was one of the most outspoken people about the G League pathway when it happened? It was Penny Hardaway. If you remember, here is what he said. This is a quote that I am seeing from the Memphis Commercial Appeal on May 1st, 2020, about two weeks after Jalen Green chose the G League pathway over Memphis. This is what Penny said. For me, I don't think the G League was built, and I could be wrong, to go and recruit kids that want to go to college out of... uh Uh, to, to go and recruit kids that want to go to college out of going to college. I thought they were going to be the organization that was going to be, if you want to go overseas or absolutely did not want to play college 100%, that this would be the best situation for you before you go to the NBA. But taking guys out of their commitments or they've already signed and continue to talk to parents, it's almost like tampering to me. I really don't agree with that. And so again, if you're Penny Hardaway, Think about your vision of what Memphis was going to be five, six years ago when you were angling for that job. I got all the best players in Memphis under my umbrella. I can bring them. But also, I have name cachet. I'm a former NBA All-Star. I can get the best players in America to come to Memphis to play for me and my coaching staff. And frankly, through no fault of his own, not only did that plan not work, it's just not going to work as more and more elite players choose alternative pathways to college basketball now penny hardaway like everybody else is adjusting he hit the transfer portal i think they brought in at least three transfers this year uh maybe even more earl timberlake from miami uh chandler lawson from oregon state and one or two other guys so penny hardaway is adjusting but at the same time it's clear that college isn't going as planned now again i don't know what that all means in the big picture I don't know exactly how frustrated it is. I'll be perfectly blunt. I have never interviewed Penny Hardaway in a one-on-one setting. I would never claim to know him or know what his thought process is. But I do think when you look at this, a couple factors. Orlando Magic, easy sell. I'm an icon. Young team. Let me mold. Let me grow with these guys together. Two, this college basketball thing just has not worked how I expected it to And maybe it's time for me to reconsider. Maybe Memphis isn't going to be what it is. On the flip side, it is worth mentioning, if we have any Memphis fans listening, I get your perspective too. I understand what you're thinking, which is pretty simply, wait a second now, he's an icon, he came here to win national championships, he wants to be here, and his son is on this roster. All I'm saying is, this is an interesting story. I don't claim to know exactly what Penny Hardaway's thinking or where he's leaning or what he wants. But all I'm saying is, this is a story to monitor going forward. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Eratoro Sports Podcast. What a show. I got to say, it was really fun. A lot of good stuff to talk about today. A lot of good stuff happened over the last couple days with this college football playoff expansion talk with – obviously Jalen Duran. and now with the Penny Hardaway stuff, and I'm telling you, man, this Penny Hardaway stuff is going to continue to be a story, and I should mention, I didn't even mention this with the Penny Hardaway stuff, uh, it's very easy to let the world know that you're not interested in going to the NBA, and that's just by putting out a statement that says, I'm not interested in going into the NBA. So, it's worth thinking about, it's worth talking about, uh, and it's worth considering, but I'm going to get out of here. Before I do, I want to remind you, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, The Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict app is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to Petty Hardaway, future head coach of the Orlando Magic. I'm just kidding, people. I'll see you guys later this week.